This morning, I'm reading Judges 17. That's found on page 216 in the Black Bibles around the room. When I'm finished reading, I will say, this is the word of God. And in response, we'll say, thanks, this is the word of the Lord. In response, you'll say, thanks be to God. And this is just a way for us to express thanksgiving to God for his word. There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, the 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse and also spoke it in my ears, behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, blessed be my son by the Lord. And he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I will restore it to you. So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith, who made it into a carved image and a metal image. And it was in the house of Micah. And the man Micah made a shrine, and he made an ephod and household gods and ordained one of his sons, who became his priest. In those days, there was no king of Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now there was a young man of Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the man departed from the town of Bethlehem in Judah to sojourn where he could find a place. And as he sojourned, he came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah. And Micah said to him, Where do you come from? And he said to him, I am a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm going to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said to him, Stay with me, and be a father to me, and a priest, and I will give you ten pieces of silver a year, and a suit of clothes, and your living. And the Levite went in, and the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became to him like one of his sons. And Micah ordained the Levite, and the young man became his priest, and was in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, now I know that the Lord will prosper me, because I have a Levite as a priest. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray, church. God, we thank you for your word and for revealing yourself through it. Lord, we also confess that often we try to make you into our image, to create our own concept of you and who you are. Lord, I pray that you would just open our ears, that we would hear only your voice today, that you would quiet our minds, that we may find understanding of who you truly are, that you would move in our hearts, Lord, that our desires would be to only to worship you and to please you, not to please ourselves or others. Lord, I also pray that you would be with Pastor Kyle as he delivers your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, if you are new here, uh, today's passage, and especially next week, you're going to be like, what the heck is in the Bible? <laughs> and that's okay, uh, because the book of Judges, which you'll find on page 216 on the Bibles we said around the room, is, uh, it's a book that is, a, is in the literary genre of a tragedy. And it's, and it's a book that describes the tragedy of what happens to humans when we try to do what's right in our eyes rather than what's right in God's eyes. It always leads to a downward spiral 
that he ultimately in, ends in death. So that's what you can kind of see over here, this, this art depicted on the cross. It's a downward spiral saying everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and it ultimately ends in death. And that's what we see in today's passage. And in today's passage, we're, we're coming to the point where Israel has been in the land now for almost uh, 480 years. That's a long time. Like throughout the book, that's how much time has taken place. That's way longer than we've been a country. Um, 480 years has taken place. And what we see is after all this time, Israel, who, is, who bears the name of God, has become a bunch of spiritual fakes, a bunch of spiritual sellouts. And it should cause us to ask the question, how do we avoid becoming a spiritual sellout? Nobody wants to be a fake. And how can we know if we're being a fake? Well, uh, one of my favorite movies in high school was Rush Hour 2. Remember that? Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker. Uh, the, and the bad guys in the movie, they were laundering money, and they were counterfeiting all these $100 bills. And there was only one way you could tell whether a bill was counterfeit or not. Anybody remember? You had to hold it under fire. And, and there's a lady in the movie, she said, you know which ones are fake because the fake ones burn red because they use a different type of ink. The ones that when you held a real dollar bill under fire or a $100 bill, it, it burned black. And so it, it draws for us a principle that just as that you could tell what kind of bill it was when you held it under fire, I think that's a principle for Christianity. You can tell what kind of Christian you're dealing with when the Christian is held under fire. That it's when we're held under fire, that's when, we, when our true colors show. Are we a fake and a sellout? Or are we truly clinging to God and being faithful? Now, the fire, a lot of times, we would admit, comes in forms of suffering and trials and all that. And I would agree. But oftentimes, the fire comes in a different form in a form of temptation that tempts you to chase what is easy rather than what is true. That's what sellouts do. You see, selling out is leaving what you know is true to accept what you know is easy. And isn't this a temptation that's coming at us all the time? And when we're held under that fire, our true colors will show. So what we're going to see is three characters in this story. Um, we're going to cover chapter 17 and 18, so a lot of text. I'm going to explain most of the story and point to different verses. Um, what we see is three characters and three different ways to sell out. The first character is a man named Micah, which consequently is not the same Micah who wrote a book in the Bible called Micah. Okay, So the first character is Micah. The second character is a Levite priest. And the third character is the tribe of Dan. And they show us three different ways of selling out. So let's take it a, a look at it together. First, the story of Micah. Micah shows us that we sell out whenever we worship God on our terms, not God's terms. We sell out whenever we worship God on our terms, not his terms. So uh, the, the story begins in, in chapter 1, uh, and Micah's mom is just introduced into the story, and somebody stole 1,100 pieces of silver from her. And she's freaking out, and she calls a curse upon whomever stole that silver. And what we see is Micah comes forward and he says, hey mom, it was me. I stole your silver. And so then Micah's mom does something really weird. She says, well, since you have restored me of this money, I will dedicate this money to the Lord. 
and we will use this money and you will make a carved image for the sake of worship. So you can see that in um, verse four. You said, so when he restored this money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith who made it into a carved image and a metal image. And it was in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine and he had an ephod and household gods and ordained one of his sons who became his priest. And in, their, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So what we see here is Micah's mom gives him some money and then they go and they make this idol. He takes it to a silversmith and what the silversmith would have done is taken a log, carved out this image, little character, and then they would have dipped it into silver and then that would have been the God and they would have bowed down and they would worship it as if he was the Lord, the God of the Bible. And so what we see about Micah is this. Micah is like what Tim Keller says. He's neither really good nor is he really bad. We can all identify with Micah. He's neither really good because he stole money from his mama. That's not good, in case you didn't know. Nor is he really, really bad because at the end of the day, he gave the money back. So we can identify him. And I think, you know, honestly, that's how probably most of us would classify ourselves, isn't it? I'm not perfect. I'm not really, really good. But I'm also not murdering my neighbors. I'm not really, really bad. We can really identify with Micah. Another thing we can identify with Micah is this. Is Micah knew his need to be spiritual. He had a, a place of worship in his house. But his problem, here's his big problem. His problem wasn't that he wanted to be spiritual or that he lacked spirituality. His problem that he wanted spirituality on his own terms. That was his problem. And he does this in two ways. Number one, Micah was of the tribe of Ephraim, and Ephraim was, uh, there's 12 tribes in God's people, and Ephraim was one of those tribes. And God had laid out very clearly in the book of Exodus and Leviticus what he expected worship to be. God had laid out very clearly that God's presence was manifested at this time in history in what was called a tabernacle, which was a tent or a temple. And, and God's people, if they wanted to experience God's presence and God's forgiveness and God's goodness, they had to go to the tabernacle. And at the tabernacle, there was a whole tribe of people dedicated to lead the people in worship, and they were called the Levites. And God said, if you want to experience me, you have to worship in this way. But what does Micah do? He wants God on his own terms. He doesn't go to the tabernacle. He makes his own house a sort of tabernacle. He sets a shrine in his own house. He, he takes his son and he makes his son a priest. His son wasn't a part of the tribe of Levi. And then he makes this ephod, which is this uh, priestly garment. It was one of the garments, it was a, a vest that identified that this is how you can connect with God. And he says, I'm going to worship God, but I'm going to do it on my terms. The second way that Micah screws up royally is he attributes the God of the heavens as earth as a little idol that you can pick up in your hands, which is breaking the second commandment of the Ten Commandments. You shall not make for yourself the carved image. And what is it? He just blatantly goes against that. And in so doing, he says, God, I want to worship you, but it's going to be on my terms. Now you might ask, why is that a problem? Well, suppose it like this. Suppose you just got a new job. I've met a few people here this morning who are out of town. You just got a new job in Reno. And um, you go to your boss and the boss says, okay, here's what you have to do. Um, Here's what's expected of you. And you say, okay, um, I just have one thing to say. Mr. Boss, I would like to come in at 10 a.m. I'd like to take a two-hour lunch 
and I'd like to be off work at 4 p.m., and I expect you to pay me a full wage. Um, What are you doing when you say that as an employee to your boss? You say, this is what I want. This is what I will do for you, and I expect you to pay me. You think, even though you have the title of employee, you think really at the end of the day, you're the boss. And in the same way, we do that with God whenever we say, I want to worship you, but it's going to be on my terms. What you're really saying to God is, God, I want you to be God, but at the end of the day, I am really God. My dad and I, my dad's always told me growing up, he said, the real religion in America is meism. That is our issue. We're always wanting to put ourselves at the center. That's why it's a problem. And it's ridiculous because let me tell you, you're not God. Hallelujah. I'm not God. Hallelujah. If you're God or I'm God, this whole world is a mess. But yet we walk in that functional meism every single day, don't we? So then the second thing that we see, you might be asking, you know, uh, I just don't understand. Why does God have such beef with this? Why, why, like, God should just be happy that Micah is worshiping him. Why does he care that there's a carved image? And uh, here's why God cares. Because whenever you make God into being a carved image, you reduce the vastness of his nature into something your finite mind can comprehend. And in so doing, you emphasize attributes about him that you like and you neglect attributes about him that you don't like. And so you can see this in the book of Exodus when after God's people had been delivered from slavery in Egypt, they made a golden calf which I was like, that's really weird. Why a calf? And then they bowed down to it and worshiped it as if it was the Lord. And what you see for those people, a calf represented power and strength. And what they wanted to emphasize about God is that God was a God of power and strength, and he is. But what they did that is to the neglect of the fact that God is also a merciful and compassionate God. God is tender and gentle. You can't put him in a box. And so to make God into a carved image, the reason why God has a problem with that is it's because it's trying to put him in a box. And, you know, you, you can think about, um, let's say you got set up with a blind date with somebody who was supposed to be really, let's say you're a lady, really handsome and really spectacular. And as a lady, you went home and you're really excited about this. So you drew a picture of what that blind date, you wanted that blind date to look like. What's going to happen when you show up? you're going to be very disappointed (laughs) because that person is not going to look anything like what you've drawn in your imagination. And people who are persons, persons have the right to reveal who they are and not be bound to who you have them imagined to be. That's how persons work. And God is a person And the real thing is if you showed up at the blind date like that, you're going to be, not only are you going to be disappointed, you're going to miss out on the beauty that the person really is because you're looking for the wrong thing. And I think that's why a lot of people miss God. You might be in here as a guest kind of investigating Christianity. I think a lot of people miss God because you've crafted what God is supposed to be in your mind and you're looking for the wrong thing and you're never going to see him. Instead of just letting him, if he really is God, reveal himself to us. That's how we become sellouts. We, we want to worship God on our own terms. And so there's two ways I think we do this. You know, whenever we choose to neglect 
what we like that God says, or excuse me, we, we choose to obey what we like that God says and neglect what we don't like that he says, we become spiritual sellouts. Micah wanted to worship, but he didn't like how God prescribed it to be. And we do this all the time. One of the most frequent commands from beginning to end of the scripture is that God's people are supposed to care for the poor. But God's people really like vacations. We really like new houses, new cars. And whenever we say, well, God will understand, I'm just going to take care of myself, but neglect his blatant commands to care for the poor and the needy, we're becoming spiritual sellouts. Another way is with our sexuality. It is very clear that God has said, look, sex is a beautiful, wonderful thing, but I want it to be between a married man and a married woman. And if we say to God, well, you don't understand the passions that I got going on inside me. I, th- I'm gonna, I want you to forgive me, but I'm going to choose to neglect commands in this area. You've become a spiritual sellout. You want to worship God, but you want it on your terms. Or when God calls us and says the beautiful way to life is to live a life of forgiveness, as hard as it is. But you say to God, well, but they really hurt me. I don't want to forgive them. You've become a spiritual sellout. It is so easy, isn't it, to, to, to fall into the trap of Micah. And then another way that we do this is, is by crafting God into the God of our imaginations. We say things to our friends. Well, I like to think of God as dot, dot, dot. We approach the Bible saying, well, the God I believe in, I don't know if he really fits in. Well, what you've done in that instance is you've not let God reveal who he is. You've tried to tell him this is who you're going to be. And you've sold out. It's so easy to do that. It's easier to, it's easier to say this is what God's like because we can understand that. It's a lot harder to say, God, you're a mystery. And a lot of what you asked me to do, I don't like and I don't understand. But I'm going to trust you because you're God. So that's the first way. The second way we see selling out is with a guy who is a Levite priest. And the way that he sells out is because he chooses to put personal gain in the front seat and honoring God in the back seat. So we see this here in verses 7 through 13. And what happens is there's this guy who is a priest sojourning up from the town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem's in the south of the country. He's sojourning up to the country of Ephraim. And Micah finds out that this guy is a Levite, and it says, uh, Micah asks him the question in verse 9. He says, Micah said to him, where do you come from? And he said, I'm a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm going to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said to him, stay with me and be to me a father and a priest, and I will give you 10 pieces of silver a year and a suit of clothes and your living. And the Levite went in. And the Levite was content to dwell with a man, and the young man became to him like one of the sons and Micah ordained the Levite, and the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite priest. You see, what Micah was doing is Micah believed that worship of God was like magic. If you just get the right formula, God will give you the right output. And, and so Micah finds this guy who's sojourning through the land, this guy who is a Levitical 
He's a Levite. He's supposed to be a priest. Now, the Levites, God had ordained, were supposed to be ministers in specific places so that the people could know who the real God is. And when Micah finds this out, he tries to take advantage of it. And he says, hey, what if you came and were my priest? And here's what I'll do for you. I'll give you clothing. I'll give you money. I'll ordain you. I'll give you a title. And I'll take care of all your needs. You can have a relationship right here. And this priest, this guy says, sweet, I'll do it. He sells out. This guy who should have said, wait a second, you're trying to worship idols? That's not cool. He says, oh, you're going to take care of me? Yeah, I'll do anything religious for you as long as you take care of me. He sells out. And then what happens, I'm going to explain a big chunk of chapter 18. Um, in chapter 18, uh, what we see happening is this. Um, there's another tribe that enters the, the picture of the story in the tribe of Dan. Now, God had allotted an area for the tribe of Dan to take as their own area, as he had done for the other tribes, to drive out their enemies and to be delivered from their enemies. But it says in the beginning of, chap uh, of, of the book of Judges that Dan didn't have enough faith to defeat them. And so therefore, they just lived there and actually those people oppressed them. And so for the 400 years that has happened throughout the book of Judges, because of Dan's lack of faith, they didn't have a, an inheritance. They didn't have any land. And so now they get to the point where they're like, well, we want some land. So they find some other land in another place. And uh, Micah's house is on the edge of that land. So they sent five spies to go investigate that land and see what it's like. And those five spies come to Micah's house and they, and they recognize that there's a Levitical priest there because he's from the South. Apparently, it's a universal principle that if you're from the South, you will have a different accent. And so that's what happened is they understood his accent. And they said, where are you from? He said, I'm from the South. I, I'm a Levite priest. And they said, oh, will you bless us on our journey? And this Levite priest says, sure, I'll bless you. And he blesses them. Now, what they go is they go into this other land and they find a town called Laish, and Laish is a town filled with quiet and unsuspecting people. It's a peaceful, quiet town. Think of like a peaceful retirement community. And guess what those spies came back? They said, that's the town we're going to kill and conquer. We're going to go kill all those peaceful people. Instead of having the faith to battle the enemies that have been oppressing us, instead of trusting God, it would be a lot easier to go slaughter a bunch of peaceful people who can't defend themselves. It says two times in there that the closest town, there wasn't even a town close enough to run to their rescue. So they picked the vulnerable and the weak to attack because it was easy. And Micah priest, guess what this Levitical priest does? He blesses it. And so what happens is the 600 soldiers come up to take this town and um, they come up and, and they go get, and they, they come to Micah's house and then they send people into Micah's house and they steal Micah's God that he made with his hands, which is the author's way of like saying, this is how silly and foolish these people have. Like if you can pick up your God and run out the door, you have a silly God. <laughs> And they bring it out, and then they steal their, they kidnap the priest. And the priest is like, what are you doing? You can't do this. And they said, look, man, would you rather be a priest of one man or a whole tribe? And he was like, obviously a whole tribe. And so then he all of a sudden just becomes their priest. And he shows his true colors. 
he shows that he was in it, not for leading people to God, as the Levites were supposed to do. He was in it for personal gain. The problem of this priest is he put personal gain in the front seat, honoring God in the back. That's selling out. It reminds me of the story of Judas in the New Testament, doesn't it? The story of Judas, one of Jesus' disciples. Jesus chose 12 men to be his disciples, 12 men that he, to be his friends. And for three years, Judas walked around with Jesus. He saw Jesus preach with the authority of God from heaven. He saw demons flee as when Jesus opened his mouth. He saw Jesus heal paralytics and uh, people who had seizures continually. He saw Jesus raise the dead. He saw Jesus calm storms. He saw Jesus take a little kid's lunchbox and feed over 20,000 people. Like he saw Jesus do all these things. Even he was blessed with Jesus's power to go out and do miracles himself. And after three years, some people who hated Jesus came to Judas and said, hey, bro, we'll give you 30 pieces of silver, which was the price of a slave. We'll give you 30 pieces of silver if you just hand us over Jesus so we can kill him. And what does he do? He sells out. He gives in to what he knows is easy. And he abandons what he knows to be true for personal gain. Now, church, you might say, well, I'm no Judas. I'm no Levite priest is doing this. But don't we do the same thing? It is so easy. (laughs) You know, this priest, he abandoned God when he was tempted with money, comfort, and status. How easy is it to abandon God for the sake of money, comfort, and status? When the boss asks you to do something that's unethical at work, and you say, well, and then he says, and I'll give you a bonus. Yeah, I I can be flexible on ethics. (laughs) Um, You know, we we, we easily, when, when you know you're supposed to speak up for something that you're witnessing is unjust, but you don't want to lose the status of your, your friends. We are so quick. Leaders in the church, this should be a warning to you. That all of a sudden, you know, this Levite, his leadership, all of a sudden, it didn't become about sacrificing himself to lead people to God. It became about his status, his comfort, his recognition. It's easy to do that in all spheres of God's church. I'm a community group leader. It's easy to all of a sudden make your leading your community group and do it being about you and not about leading people into Christ. It's easy to be a, a leader of servants and all of a sudden you, you're getting more concerned about your title than you do about people actually knowing the living God. And it's not just leaders, it's all of us. I like what the King's Kaleidoscope song says, Judas sold Jesus for 30, I've sold him for less. How often have we not spoken up when we know we ought to? How often have we put honoring God in the backseat because we know it will come at the cost of our personal gain. It's selling out. Now, the third way we see selling out is in the tribe of Dan, this whole tribe of Dan. And we get to this in verses 27 uh, through 31. And it just says, I'm just going to read it and then we'll talk about it. It says, but the people of Dan took what Micah had made 
and the priests who belonged to him, and they came to Laish, to a people quiet and unsuspecting. That's the second time the author puts that in. And they struck them with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire. And there was no deliverer because it was far from Sidon, and they had no dealings with anyone. It was in the valley that belongs to Bethroab. Then they rebuilt the city and lived in it, and they named the city Dan. After the name of Dan, their ancestor, was born to Israel. But the name of the city was Laish at first, and the people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Moses, and his sons were priests to the tribe of Danites until the day of captivity of the land. So they set up Micah's carved image. Now get this, as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. The way that the tribe of Dan sells out is this. They seek what is convenient rather than sacrifice for what is true. They seek what is convenient rather than sacrifice for what is true. So first of all, the first way they do this is by attacking these peaceful people. The author throws it in two times in the text to just say, this is how bad Israel has got. That now we're attacking peaceful people and killing all of them. And all the while, God had offered to them and shown us through the book of Judges that if they just had faith, he would deliver them from their oppressors. But instead of doing the hard work of having faith and trust in God, they decided to do the easy work of taking matters into their own hands and attacking a peaceful, quiet people. Then the second thing they did is this. They set Micah's priest who, lo and behold, the text says, is a great-grandson of Moses. And they set him up in their new city, and then they make their city the new place where they would say, now here's where you can come and worship God. This is the new temple. All the while, it says in verse 31, God was offering his presence to them at the house that was in another city called Shiloh. They did what was convenient. They said, oh, God wants to meet with us? Well, it would take a little bit of a journey to go to Shiloh. Let's just set up a place of meeting right here. They did what was convenient rather than sacrifice for what was true. So if you're hiking through the hills of Nevada and you get thirsty, you know that you're going to need water. You come up to a pond and right before you get to drink in that pond, there's somebody else at the pond. They say, no, 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 don't drink this water. If you drink this water, it'll make you sick but you're tired and you're thirsty. And they say, well, there's a spring one mile up the hill. If you go up to the spring, that's great water. That, that's water that'll, that'll help you. But you look at them and say, nah, this is more convenient. I'm going to drink this water. If you do that, what you've done is you've accepted what is convenient rather than sacrifice and done the work for what is true. And I think that this happens a lot in our spirituality. I think this is one of the reasons why people don't want to follow Jesus. Because Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, it means you have to die to yourself. That's hard. That means saying, I have to lay down all my preferences to get to know him. That's difficult work. It's certainly more convenient to not have to think about it, isn't it? I think a lot of people have... Uh, They've, they, they think that there is some sort of God out there, but it's just too much work to think about it really hard. It's too much work to investigate the different religious claims. So it's just easier to go along and be like, yeah, I'm an agnostic. I don't really know. And to just go about your life not thinking about that. And I think that's very dangerous. That's like drinking the pond water that'll make you sick. Jesus has offered himself to us. He is worth the investigation. 
I think Christians fall into this trap all the time. We say things like, I just want God to speak to me. Meanwhile, he's given us a book of his words. We're like, well, I have to read it? Like, don't they have this on Netflix? Like, yeah. It's hard to understand. Well, yeah. Like, relationships take work. I think we struggle with this in our relationships, too. Husbands, God wants you to lay your life down for your wife as a servant, just like Christ did for the church. But you're like, well, it's much more convenient for me just to do my thing. She needs to get her act together. It is so much easier to pursue the convenient path rather than to make sacrifices for the true path. We sell out. So, this should be a question for us. How have I been pursuing what is convenient rather than what is true? God says, if you want my presence, God's presence is special. He says that the church is now the New Testament form of the temple. In other words, when God's people gather for worship in a weird, special way, his presence is here and is healing. But we're like, eh, it's more convenient to go to church once a month than it is for. Like, We just are so prone to doing what is convenient rather than what is true. And then we get mad at God for it. It's because we sell out. Now, why does this happen and how can we fix it? Well, the author gives us two clues in chapter 17, verse 6, and in 18, verse 1. They both say the same thing. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The author's conclusion is, had we had a king, this would never have happened. And that, too, is hard to accept, isn't it? Because we, as humans, and especially as Americans, don't like the concept of a king. If you look at, if you go to Philadelphia and you look at some of the old colonial uh, flags and coins, some of them will say, no sovereignty here. Like, we hate kings. And yet that same phrase is written on our human hearts towards God. Now, I'm not saying that it's, it's, I think it's okay to hate bad kings. But to hate the concept of king altogether is to hate Christ. Because he is a king. God is a king. And And the author's conclusion of the book of Judges is, have we had a king? This is why we need a king. And that's hard to admit. That's hard to swallow as individuals, isn't it? Because you know what it means? It means me saying to God, God, I don't have it figured out. Like, I'm a mess, to be honest. I do my best, and I make the best decisions, and I'm like, well, that was wrong. (laughs) Like, it's a big pill to swallow to just admit to God, I'm not the best one to run my life. That's why it's a lot easier to sell out and act like you can be your own king. But we need a king. Now, the interesting thing, we get the benefit of reading this as New Testament Christians who have the whole of the Bible together, is God gives them a king in the book, the very next book. God gives them a king in, in the books of Samuel and then in the books of Kings, and it still doesn't help them out. <laughs> because even the depravity of what's happening here, this selling out has entered into the kings. And what it shows us is simply, is we need a king, but we need more than a king, we need a savior. 
And as we read this together, we should say, God, we need a king, but we also need a savior because we just keep falling into this trap. And the good news of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they have one single message. Jesus is your king and he is your savior. We see this from the time that he was born to the time that he was death. When he was born, what happened? Wise men came from the east to give him gold, frankincense of myrrh, gifts you would give to a king, and they gave it to this baby in a manger. But he came in a manger, rejected and outcasted. And his mom was told by an angel, you need to name him Jesus because the name Jesus means God will save his people from their sins. It's a picture that this king came not just to rule us, but to save us. And then when Jesus enters into his ministry, the first words that the gospel Mark records of Jesus are repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As close as your hand is to your body, that's how close the king is with us because the king is here. The king of heaven has come. But then he tells Peter, who just thinks he's the king, Peter thinks he's got it all together. And Jesus says to Peter in the book of John, he says, unless I wash you, you have no place with me. Jesus' intentions and his words show us that he came to be a king, but he also came to be our savior. And then what's the cross? If you read the account of the cross, it reads like the coronation of a king. He's paraded through the city. There's shouts. He's put, he, he gets a crown and a robe, and he's elevated to the place that everybody can see. And above him is given a plate that says, this is Jesus, king of the Jews. But you also read it and you're like, this is the account of the Savior. Because the crown that was given to him was a crown of thorns, not of gold. He was led and mocked and beaten. And the place where he was elevated was not a throne. It was a cross where he would be cursed by God. And the Apostle Paul says, he who knew no sin, Jesus became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What he was doing on that cross is he was taking our place. Jesus, who never sold out, who never took the easy path, was killed as if he always did. So that you could be blessed by God as if you always stayed true and were faithful. That's the message of the gospel. And even then, he resurrects from the grave three days later and ascends to his throne in heaven where he reigns as king. And he sends his people out with the good news that he came to be our savior too. He is king and savior. And here's how those two things mesh together. You will never want to worship him as king and follow him as king unless you're well acquainted that he's your savior. The degree to which you follow God and are faithful to God is directly correlated with your understanding of how much you need his saving work. And many Christians start to sell out because they thought they needed God once to save them, but they forget they need God to save them every single day. That's how you become a sellout. We're most prone to becoming sellouts when we're most forgetful of all that we need to be saved from. And so this is an invitation that should, it should warn us and invite us to admit our great need to God. It should invite us to, to, and the cross does that. Like sometimes we're afraid to confess our sins to God. Like he'll be like, oh my gosh, I had no idea you were such a messed up sinner. Like, but the cross frees us from that, doesn't it? Jesus is showing us, I know how ugly you are and I love you anyways. So come to me in your need and I will be your king. And so we get to, you get to stop playing games. You get to stop faking it. 
You get to come to God and just say, I need you. And I am Micah. I'm the Levite. I'm the tribe of Dan. I'm selling out all the time. And my only hope is if you save me and you hold my hand and you lead me. It's my only hope. The seed of true faith only grows in the soil of great need. Let's pray. Lord God, forgive us for the ways that we have crafted you into our own image, that we've said, I want you to be my God, but then we live like we're our own gods. Forgive us for the ways that we have been like the Levite who put personal gain in the front seat and honoring you in the back seat. Forgive us for the ways that we take the convenient path rather than making sacrifices to do what is right and true. Lord, we are just like these people. Forgive us, especially at the Living Sons Church members, forgive us for the ways that we posture to the world that we're, we're really not broken. We know that that is offensive to you. And help us to see that in the cross of Jesus Christ, you're inviting us to you in our brokenness. And help us to come to you, to be well acquainted with our need, to be well acquainted with you, our Savior, and to have great trust in you, our Lord. Do it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.